So last week when we were together, we were in the book of Acts. Not a big surprise, that's where we've been and we're going to be for quite a while. But we, we covered 48 verses. And we, Peter, we, we watched as Peter learned a very valuable lesson, a lesson that we are reminded of. And that's what you see on the screen right there is that Jesus is for everyone. Do you guys remember that through the week that I said enough times? Jesus is for everyone. Um, but Peter, he makes his bold stand. Jesus is for everyone. He goes into the house of Cornelius. And he shares a message with Cornelius, and he, he's doing all the right things. But Peter's not out of the woods yet. Peter now has to go back to Jerusalem, and he's got to face, he's got to give an accounting for why he did what he did that went against what was the social norm. But before we do, let's ask God's blessing on his word as we read it and as we, as we look and see what God wants to share with us. Thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, for Peter, for his example, for his willingness to do the right thing, even in the face of opposition. I just pray that God, as we watch, as Peter uh, gives a defense for his faith, for why he did what he did, that we would be encouraged to do the same thing, that we'd be encouraged to stand for what we believe in based off of what your word says, and not just man's opinion. I just pray that, God, you would give me your words to say, and the next while you know a few minutes or so and and just let the truth of it just sit in our minds and to, to stick with us through throughout throughout the rest of this week in jesus name amen <clears throat> so standing alone standing for what you believe in is that an easy thing to do probably depends on what it is that you're standing for uh it's not it's a it's what we're talking about today standing for what you believe in but that's not a brand new thought right we've all heard that kind of thing before you know slavery was ended because somebody took a stand for what they believed in all you women who get to vote do you know why you get to vote because somebody took a huh because someone took a stand for what they believe in. Do you know that throughout the, the future, today, throughout the next however many years of life, things are going to change? Do you know why? Because somebody is going to take a stand for what they believe in. But I'm not, we're not talking about taking a stand for something that's a matter of opinion or is a matter of a feeling. We're talking today about taking a stand for what we believe in that's based off of Scripture. And that's what seems to be a whole lot harder to do. And if you have to do it by yourself, it makes it that much difficult. Taking a stand isn't always easy, and sometimes it's costly. Sometimes people have to become a martyr for, their, for what they believe in, whether it's something religious or not. They, they face the consequences of it. They lose friends. They lose family. They lose life. Some people say, you know what, I'm not going to take a stand in, some, in certain circles. You know, while I'm with my friends, I will take that stand because we all agree. But some people say, while you're in Rome, you act like you're in Rome. I'm going to let my, my I'm going to kind of become a chameleon. While I'm with these people, I'm going to have this stand. While I'm with these people, I'm going to have this stand. And while I'm with those people, I'm going to have a different stand. But sometimes, sometimes you take a stand... And your stance encourages somebody else to change their convictions and to stand with you so that you're no longer standing alone as you stand for what you believe in. This is what we find happening in Peter's life. He takes a stand and all the, he's standing by himself. He's standing up against the people he doesn't want to stand against. And by the time we're done, Peter has a team of people standing with him. And we look and see that in order for that to take place, He's got to go through a lot of things, but he's got to start with taking a stand. 
So first of all, we're going to look in Acts chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. And we're going to see that Peter takes a stand. That he, and first of all, that his actions get criticized. Uh, his actions from last week, which we'll look at again briefly today, are going to net him some persecution, some, some flack for doing what he believes is right. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. It says, The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, Peter, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Shame on you, Peter. His actions are getting criticized. And what were these actions that were criticized? Maybe you already know, but because it's here in Scripture, I'm going to read it for you. It is not up on there, so I would encourage you, grab a pew Bible, grab your own Bible that you hopefully brought with you, and follow along, if you would please. Acts chapter 11, verses 4 through 14. It says, Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. He says, yeah, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or clean has ever entered my mouth. Then the voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three different times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers who went with me, we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. That's the experience that Peter just went through last week. And here's what he's going, he's getting criticized for doing. He's going to have to give a defense. He's going to have to give a reason for why it was okay for him to do what previously was not okay. You guys will probably remember the two lessons that Peter learned last week, right? The first one is that bacon is now on the menu for the Jews because all food is clean. We looked at Leviticus 11.7. It talks about in the Old Testament how that was not okay before. But now all of a sudden everything is clean. And so now they get to eat bacon that we already enjoy. But that was just an object lesson. It was teaching Peter something of, of greater value. Does anybody remember what that was? All People are clean, right? That's what God is ultimately trying to get across to Peter was that, yeah, food was unclean because I said it was unclean. And now I'm able to make it clean food. People you are unclean, but I'm able to make it okay. You are okay to go with them. Um, and so now Peter has this in mind that all people are clean. They're not perfect. They're not saved because they're clean, but you can interact with them. You can have fellowship with these people. You can go into their house and eat with all kinds of people. And that's the lesson Peter is learning. And that's the lesson he's going to have to try to explain to the people. But it says that uh, news traveled quickly. To up to Jerusalem. Peter is in Caesarea. He doesn't leave immediately after that happens. He sticks around for a little while, and then somebody gets wind of this and hauls off to Jerusalem and says, I gotta tell the disciples, I gotta tell the believers there, this is what happened. 
And so the news travels quicker than Peter does. And when he gets there, he's getting criticized for his beliefs, for his actions. It turns out to cause cause quite a stir. In verse 2 and 3, I think I have to go back here. It says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, they criticized him. They're, they're, they're questioning him. And who is it that's doing this? Is it the Pharisees? Is it the people, people who already don't like Peter? No, these are the apostles, right? There's 11 of them now. Remember, there was Judas who made up one of the 12. He went and hung himself, so he got replaced by a guy named Matthias. So now there's 12 total, one being Peter, and now there's 11 other people. And he's going back to Jerusalem, and he's got 11 apostles who are in his face criticizing him, who are questioning him, who are against what he, the actions that he just took. And he's standing himself, standing by himself against 11 other men. But on top of that, there's other believers who are sur surrounding them, I imagine. And so he's got a group of people in his face wanting to know why is it that Peter did what he did? This is not a minor little thing. This is a very major issue. What are they questioning him about? About going into the house of a Gentile and eating with him. To me, that's that I look and say, no big deal. It's like going into the house of a sinner and eating with them. Does anybody have a problem with that? Somebody's not saved. I'm going to go into the house and eat with them. If they're a good cook, there's no problem, right? If they're a lousy cook, I don't want to. Otherwise, I have no problem going into an unsaved person's house and eating with them. But for them, it was a big deal to go into the Gentiles' house. Last week, I told you how Moses had, made, was, had commanded the people, don't have business deals with the outside people, only with the Israelites, and don't marry those who are outside uh, the Jewish faith. And those people said, okay, we won't do that, but we're going to take it one step farther, and we're not going to have anything to do with the Gentiles. We looked at last week how God gave the message of salvation to the Jews, and they were supposed to keep it to themselves. They were supposed to say, who cares about the rest of the world? And so that's what they did. No, just kidding. They were supposed to take that message of salvation to the Gentiles. They were just the, the mouthpiece that God was using to get that message out to everybody else. But they, they were feeling like this is just for us. That's why they had to go through this lesson. Very uncomfortable. Peter standing there, having a bunch of people growling at him, questioning him, criticizing him, picking on him for the actions that he just took. And Peter is getting criticized. Now, have you ever had your beliefs questioned or your actions criticized? Anybody who, who says, why are you, did you do that? And they get grumpy at you and angry at you. And we're not talking about just random things like, why did you paint the walls that color? Or why did you pick that political issue? But we're talking about things that are based off of something more like this. Traditions. You know, why are you going against the norm? Why are you going through against what has always happened? You know, recently I was talking to somebody, and I know everybody's heard this story before, but it fits perfectly. Uh, and I don't even know who I was talking to or who it relates to. It'll probably jar a memory in your mind. Uh, but some gal uh, was at church, whatever church it was, and missionaries showed up. And they were, uh, they were sharing about how they did communion in their church. You know, instead of using juice, they used Coca-Cola. And this lady was appalled at the fact that they were using Coca-Cola instead of grape juice for communion. And the missionary's like, 
Well, we don't have access to great fruit juice. It spoils too quickly. Coca-Cola is readily available. And so that's why we use what we use. But this gal really was having a difficult time because it wasn't the tradition or way that they were, were brought up doing this. You know, I don't think God was up in heaven appalled or mad that they were using Coca-Cola. He said, you know what, Pepsi would have been better, but he was not mad that they were using Coca-Cola because this is what they had. It wasn't the juice, it was what it was represented that really mattered. But throughout history, throughout churches across the world, there's been things that churches have had to overcome uh, that was going against the tradition. Caleb, what are you looking at? Going against tradition, Okay, one of them was churches that are him-only churches. Now, I'm not, these three examples, I'm not saying are in this church, okay? Because if it was in this church, I don't know. I've been here for five years on Thursday. Okay, we'll be five years here. And so since I've been here, there's been praise songs. So if any of these, like, are rubbing somebody raw or are ringing a bell, I don't really know. But there are churches that are only him-only churches, and there's lots of good hymns out there, right? We sing two hymns every week. There's lots of good theology. There's lots of good tunes. But some churches say you can only have hymns, okay? Some churches say it has to be a King James-only version because that's the only version that's inspired. Now, I preach from the NIV. The Free Church uses the ESV. Um, I, when I study, I use the King James Version because the Strong's Concordance works the best to figure out what words mean. But we don't have to only use the King James Version. That's not written in Scripture that it's the only the King James Version. Another one that some churches have is a dress code. Only dresses, only slacks. I wore today, I'm not a cowboy, but I wore cowboy boots. Do you know why? Oh, I like to wear cowboy boots, but I wore them because we don't have a dress code. Right? We, we try to come looking nice, but we don't have to come wearing dress shoes and dress pants and a suit jacket and a tie, thankfully. Because, but some churches are like, women, you better wear dresses. Men, you better wear a three-piece suit and wear a hat. You know, whatever. You know, but there are churches out there that say this is the only way to go. This is the only way to be. And I, I think those, those churches, they mean well. You know, they want to say the church is a holy and a, a special place. And so they make those standards. But that is not what the Bible says. It doesn't say you have to wear a dress. It doesn't say you have to only do King James. It doesn't say you can only sing hymns. All three are fine, but they're man-made ideas. They're just man-made laws. That's what this was for Peter. The, the Jews made this law that you were not supposed to go into the house of Gentiles and eat with them. Because they, were, they meant well, but it doesn't make it correct. So Peter, he's, he's changing his tune. He's changing directions. He's, uh, but it's not based off of a whim or an opinion. He didn't say, boy, I, I really like Cornelius, so I'm going to go against my beliefs. His beliefs were based off of Scripture. It was, I mean, he, he didn't have Scripture there, but it's based off of something that God taught him. And God showed him, and so it affected his actions. And that's what our, our beliefs should do. We shouldn't be running around basing our lifestyles and our actions off our, our own belief systems. It should be based off of Scripture. We should be willing to make those kinds of changes. So Peter, he made all these choices. And actions don't happen in a bubble, right? When you do something, people start to find out, right? I just kiddingly picked on Caleb. He doesn't even know why. It was, there really was nothing to it, except for that his action 
was obviously just found out, even though he wasn't doing really anything. Uh, it's the same with Peter. His actions did not just happen by himself. It, a lot of people noticed it. And so now he has to give a defense. He has to give an explanation for why he was doing what he was doing. And it's, it's a difficult thing for him to do, I think. Verse 15 to 17. It says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And this is what he learned, and this is what happened, and this is what defense he's given. He says, the Holy Spirit came upon them as he had come upon us at the beginning. He says, then I remember what the Lord has said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? This is why he's, he did what he did was because the Holy Spirit told him to do this. This is what became of it was this is what the result was of his actions was that the Holy Spirit came upon them. He says, you guys remember when we were sitting in that upstairs room and we saw the tongues of fire come down upon us and we were able to speak in tongues. Okay, he says, forget that tongue part, but you remember we were able to do that? He says, this is what they were able to do. They were able to speak in tongues just like we were. And, and Peter shared this with them. Now, just think for a moment, if you are... Um, if you're in Peter's shoes, you are standing for what you believe is right, and all of a sudden, all these people come surrounding you, and they're criticizing you. How do you want to respond? You know, I, you know, Peter, he gets a lot of guff for sticking his foot in his mouth, right? He gets a lot of guff because he denied Jesus three times. But this is one time where I want to say, good job, Peter, because Peter shared Peter shared something with these guys. If I have 11 people coming at me and they're all jumping down my throat and they're mad at me, I want to not share. I want to clam up. I want to lead the situation. But Peter was willing to get, engage in the conversation even though it was hard for him to do. He says, I'm going to share. I'm going to explain it to you. What did people share? What did Peter share? He shared the truth. He says, good, bad, or ugly, this is the facts. This is what you've heard. This is what the gossip that got to Jerusalem before I did. This is what you've heard. Yes, indeed. Whatever you accepted or not, this is what really happened. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't change it. He didn't try to manipulate it so that they would accept his what he did. He says, this is what really happened. He gave them the truth. But then I say, he, does, he takes it a step farther. I think Peter shared the truth in love. All these people were growling at Peter. Everybody was mad at Peter because of what he did. They didn't understand it. But they were, I think they were all coming at him growling. They're criticizing him. But you don't see here that Peter growled back at them. You don't see that he told them off. He just said in verse 4, Peter began and explained everything, everything to them precisely as it happened. He just says, okay, guys, I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to explain it to you. And he just in love explains to them everything that has just taken place. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't stick his finger in their face and says, now listen to me because this is what God did. He just says it. He just explains it to him, says, these are the facts. How could I argue with God, with what God was doing? When it comes to explaining your beliefs of any kind, he says, you know, the Bible says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. There's a right way and a wrong way to do that. Right? I can tell you defensively, this is what I want, or this is what I think, but that's not how Peter did it. 
And I know, I know it's really easy to keep my mouth shut in a circle where people don't agree with me. You're right. I think you probably, you know that. It's probably easy to avoid topics. It's easy to change the story some to make people feel more comfortable. And, and like we're kind of meshing views and keeping it kind of gray so that I don't really have to fight against your beliefs. It's tempting. You know, on Tuesday, I found myself in that very same, that very exact situation. I told you guys uh, several weeks ago with a message title support group that I got together with some pastors for breakfast on a Tuesday. And I did that this last Tuesday. It was Pastor Eric, Pastor James, uh, Mike Davis, and myself. We went to the Red River and we had breakfast. And we're just talking about life where uh, Mike Davis is trying to get uh, something set up this summer. Um for churches it's kind of a revival thing we're trying to he's trying to work on getting so that's the, kind of like the main reason for getting together anyway the conversation comes up about end times and guess what there are four of us guess how many different views there are of the end times good guess there's three there's three different views on the end times two of us were right me, me and somebody else were right. But that's an uncomfortable conversation to get into with two other pastors who have their own beliefs, their own reasoning for why that's right. But here we are sitting in this eating breakfast for what feels like forever, discussing this topic. And it's real easy to avoid this topic. Let somebody else take the guff instead of getting into that battle and explaining it. So I know it's easy to avoid those conversations. I know it's easy to, to like be blunt, you know, like kind of get kind of gray and trying to just gloss that over instead of getting to those conversations. Peter doesn't have that option. His only option is to speak the truth, and he does it in love. So when you have opportunities to share what you believe or why you did what you did, I would encourage you to just share. Be willing to talk. It's easy to get defensive. It's easy to avoid people. It's easy to just leave the situation. But start out just opening your mouth and talking. And when you do, share the truth. You know, don't make it truth that this is what I think or this is what I've heard on the radio. This is what David Jeremiah thinks. Say, this is what scripture says. Make your beliefs based off of scripture and not what you hear in church, not what you hear in Sunday school, not what you hear on the radio. See it for yourself. Be willing to share the truth. Yes, that takes work. That takes uh, energy, but be willing to share the truth. But do it in love. People are going to come growling at you because they don't like the stance. They don't like what you just did. That doesn't give you permission to turn around and bite right back, which is the natural response. That's exactly what I want to do. If you come bite me, I want to bite you back twice as hard so that you don't do it again. But Peter did not do that. He shared the truth in love. Peter's actions were criticized. Peter had to explain his actions. He had to explain his beliefs. And then the beautiful part about this is once Peter did, all of a sudden, instead of being one guy standing by himself, he's got 11 other guys, other apostles standing with him, and he's surrounded by a lot more other believers, all because Peter was willing to stand up for what he believed in because this is what God taught him. This is what God showed him. And hopefully that's the same thing that will happen with you in your situation, with your beliefs. Peter's convictions are accepted. Verse 18. 
Since when they had heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. The two things that came out of this were all these people that were in Peter's face, angry at him, are praising God, which is ultimately what we want to do is to praise God for what he's done, for, for what he's teaching us, right? And so people are praising God once they're becoming uh, believing what God is saying from, from what his word or what he's teaching people, they're praising God. But the second thing is they're recognizing that God has given Gentiles salvation also. I imagine that the next time those 11 apostles or that big group of believers came across a Gentile and they had the opportunity to share faith with that person or eat with that person or interact with that person, they didn't immediately go like this, I'm not doing this. They thought twice and said, oh, wait a second, Peter did this. I can do this too. And they hopefully, I assume they engaged in a conversation with those people. Gentiles started hearing the gospel as well. Thankfully, because I'm not a, gen, a Jew. I'm a Gentile, right? I am, I, and I fit into that same category who needs Jesus, just like they needed Jesus, just like the Jews need Jesus. But because Peter was willing to open his mouth and share, ultimately the, the gospel could start spreading a whole lot quicker because the Jews were talking to the Gentiles as well. But what was the key to all that? It was communication. It was opening up my mouth to talk. Peter had to have a conversation. He had to explain it to people. And he had to leave it in God's hands for how it was going to turn out. But I think he did it in love. Because you all know that you can say anything you want, but if you say it as a jerk, it's not received well. So I think Peter said this all in love, and it was received well. Peter's convictions were accepted. And I think our convictions can be accepted as well based off of Scripture if we're willing to do the same thing. You know, um, there when we went to the annual business meeting last weekend, uh, there was a church planner there. And I, I met him online at a, a Zoom meeting, and he had a kind of a unique way to plan a church. Now, if you've ever been part of church planning, which I haven't, but the textbook way to do this seems to be is you get a bunch of believers. Like if we had 4,000 people here, we say we want to plan a church, we would take a chunk of you, and we'd say, okay, we're going to go to Ekalaka or to Baker or to wherever, and you guys are going to go to church there. And you're going to help make church function, and we're going to have a building, and we're going to go out there and try to get people to come into our building, right? That's kind of the textbook way to do this. Well, this church planner had a different way of doing this. He said he was he's trying to start church a church plant during COVID. Well, you can't go into any buildings with anybody, and so he couldn't do that. So he found out a different way to start doing this. He went down to the park. And this is like in Bismarck or something, but he went to the park and he started barbecuing. And he says, I'm not, they're barbecuing burgers instead of hot dogs. He said, we bought potato chips that had salt on them. We had good drinks because we want people to want to be a part of this. And so this is how he started his church plant was just by barbecuing and inviting people Free burgers, free chips, free drinks, and he's, he's, part, he's starting to grow his church that way. He's not immediately shoving Jesus in people's face. He's saying, here, have some food, and they started having conversations. 
But it started with the guy doing something different, something outside the box, something out of the norm. Because we all know the church is a building, right? We have this building here. We got new windows. We're all sitting here. But the church is not just a building, right? The church is out there. The church is getting involved in people's lives. And hopefully you get them in the building. But even if you never do, you're doing church out there. And that's what this guy is doing. That's outside the norm for a lot of people. Unless you're a missionary in Africa and America, the, the way it seems to be is you get them inside the building. But the church goes outside the building. And I'm going to bless Darren with that. Darren's the guy who's always pointing that out. The church is not just the building, which is absolutely true. The church is out there, and that's what this guy is doing. He's taking the church out there. But this was one man's conviction. And it started out with just himself. But now he has people who have come alongside of him and said, okay, I see what you're doing. I want to be a part of that. And they're growing the church that way. It's just a simple way of saying, I'm thinking outside the box. I'm doing what's outside the norm of what people really think and say, I want to be a part of that too. He had his convictions. He had the leading from the Lord of what can I still do? And he did it. And then he got people who joined with him, just like Peter. He says, I'm going into this alone. Once everybody else heard about this, they say, I want to be a part of it too. One thing that I would, that I want to try, I don't quite have my... <laughs> I don't quite have my wife on board about this yet, is having, like going cold, like uh, going to somebody's house that I don't know and saying, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? Does that sound like a scary thing to do? You don't know people? I'm, I'm wired funny because I, I think that would be a blast. <laughs> She doesn't, you know, but there's just, there's just things that you can do. And if you can get people on your side, you do it yourself, you get people on your side and it can grow. That's what I'm saying. That's what Peter did. He went through this all by himself. He explained it to other people and they said, okay, I can do that as well. Taking a stand is tough to do. Taking a stand for what you believe in can be costly. It could cost you your job. It could cost you your family. It could cost you your life. You, you might be tempted to say, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm, I, you might be tempted to change your opinion with whoever you're at, wherever you're at, but you never know. You might be blessed like Peter and have people come to your side and said, I'm going to stand with you, but you just might have to be that person who's willing to stand alone first.